Good day, everybody. This is Zachary Kameen, the Curious Christian, and these are Curious Conversations. Well, today we're going to do another poem. I know you guys are looking forward to it. Uh, I uh, prefer reading poetry over many uh, different other books and whatnot, uh, mostly uh, older poetry, because... I find that the older poets recognize that there's a time in the past that existed called history and that they recognize that there will be people who come after them and so they're trying to find a way to bridge the gap and often they do it through poetry. Today we're going to look at another American poet by the name of Henry Longfellow. Uh, Henry Uh, was another very famous uh, 19th century American poet. Uh, He wrote um, the uh, Hiawatha Evangeline uh, Midnight Ride with Paul Revere. Very famous uh, poems uh, that, again, like uh, Wordsworth uh, yesterday, uh, was a, a big fan of taking normal day-to-day things and showing the majesty of them. Today, we're going to read his book, The Arrow and the Song. It goes like this. I shot an arrow into the air. It flew to earth I knew not where. For so swiftly it flew, the sight could not follow it in its flight. I breathed a song into the air. It fell to earth I knew not where. For who has sight so keen and strong that it can follow the flight of song? Long, long afterward, in an oak, I found the arrow still unbroke. And the song from beginning to the end I found again in the heart of a friend. I wanted to read this uh, poem, one, because I thought it was a really cool poem, and two, it touches on an idea that I've made a point of the last few years of doing this podcast, which is the importance of uh, singing along with the fighting. Uh, if you keep up with the cross-politic guys and the guys at the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, you'll see that their whole idea is uh, singing. Uh, One of the hosts got arrested for singing at a town hall instead of in Seattle and Portland where they tried to burn down the town hall or the city hall. Uh, So there's in this poem the idea of the arrow or the bullet if you want to look at it that way too and the song uh the arrow is found unbroken in a tree and the song is found in the heart of a friend which goes to show why it is so important to uh use music to invade the culture because when you write a song and you sing a song 
you are inviting your friends to listen. There is a great importance of song, song singing. There's a reason why God's word has psalms in it or songs in it. It has a whole song book. And in fact, not just there, but there are many in church history, in Jewish history, where people have sought to put the whole Bible to song because they recognize the importance of music. Uh, the ancient Greeks recognized that the way to somebody's soul is through song. That is a way of strengthening the soul. There's argument, debate about the importance between the rhetoric or the way you say something or the way you sing something and the words that you actually say. So the uh, so you don't want to fall into the sophist camp of, well, it doesn't matter what you say, it's how you say it. But you also don't want to fall into, it doesn't matter how you sing it, it's what you say. Uh, you want to, at the best of your abilities, uh, grab a hold of both. You see this with guys like Isaac Watts, who sought to uh, grab, grab both, grapple with both. You see it with uh, with Charles Wesley. You see it with uh, these poets of praise. You also see it to this day with uh, guys like the band, the Grey Havens, My Soul Among Lions, uh, guys like Skillet, Demon Hunter. Uh, you see folks in their field, in their genres, finding ways to bring forth praise, bring forth uh, dutiful goodness and beauty uh, in their music so as to both have rich meaning and rich singing. I do commend poets like I've been doing uh, often. As we go through more, it'll be more, uh, you know, the further I go, the closer we get to our modern age of music. But for right now, uh, I'm still in the 19th century. Uh, but it is important to know that there are some great American poets. And the reason why I touch on this is because I'm an American. And uh, if you are not American, well, you should do a podcast where you talk about not American stuff. Um, I touch on not American stuff too. But it's important to uh, stress that it is not true that... Americans do not wax poetically in the first century of their existence. I know guys like John Adams, my favorite president. Did I mention that before? Well, he's my favorite president. He said that there would be a time in his, the time of his great-grandkids where they can be poets, but for right now we need lawyers and farmers. Uh, he said this in France. Uh, but though it's true that It'd be, it was preferred to him. But it's not true that that was the reality in America. The reality in America was that there were poets, there were singers, there were songwriters. Uh, you have 1619 folks who want to say that there wasn't music in America until, or there wasn't American music until the 20th century. And before that, it was a lot of blackface stuff, and really it was only either opera or blackface, and there was no actual music in America. There were no poems, there were no poets. Uh, this is historically inaccurate. 
that's why I read these in part. Uh, I've given my reasons in previous podcasts why I do these poems. One, because they're just so stinking good. Uh, Part of it's culturally. They resonate with me as an American. They touch on American culture. Uh, I can visualize an arrow because I'm an archery hunter. I can visualize an oak because I'm often around white oaks seeking after uh, deer. Uh, These things are easy to visualize uh, if you have any questions about any other poems or whatnot, uh, then by all means ask. Uh, but I do want to stress that if you are wondering why, because uh, I'm a, a very optimistic person, I do believe that the world is going to get better. I do believe that the world is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, that the praises of all the nations will um, come forth from their lips in this world. I do believe that. Uh, I do believe that the prophecies of God indicate that uh, there will be more living water than there will be stagnant water in the world before the Lord comes again. I do believe that the church's mission will Uh, pour forth and be victorious. Uh, I do believe that Christ will make all of his enemies bow before he returns. uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and Psalm 2. Uh, I do believe this and therefore the question becomes, well, why does it seem like it's so far away? Um, Well, It's a bit of a long answer with that. One would, it would deal with the fact that, in my opinion, the fact that we're 2,000 years in and we've got one-third of the world and we got two-thirds to go. Uh, and the other two-thirds really doesn't like that we are setting our sights on them. If every Christian converted two of their non-Christian neighbors, then all the world would be Christian. It should also be said that in places like America, it's harder to find non-Christians. In in heavily dominant Christian nations, you aren't in a two-to- you're not in a two-to-one ratio or a three-to-one ratio. You are in a, uh, you know, one-to-one ratio almost. At least with nominal. You're more needing to do discipleship. Well, the discipleship is here important in that you need to seek to learn music, sing music, sing it well. Not enough to be like, well, I can't carry a tune. Well, that sucks. Do it anyways. Uh, Forget about what you want. Do what you're told and sing. Sing a new song. Keep writing new songs. Keep singing new songs. If you hear a new song on the radio, sing it. Don't be afraid to sing it, because remember, later, down the road, long after you've sang that song, you might find one of your friends who was an unbeliever, from beginning to end, having that song in their heart. So sing gospel. Stories like Beowulf, were Christian uh, Saxons trying to convert their neighbors, and keep in mind at that time, the Christians were the minority by a lot, 
And so they wrote stories like Beowulf so as to put into the hearts of their neighbors the songs of their savior, the savor of their savior. So that there would be great joy, great rejoicing in their neighbors who oftentimes wanted to kill them. So keep that in your head uh, while you're considering singing. Uh, Is there a time to fling an arrow or, uh, you know, pull out a gun and shoot somebody? Um, I would say certainly, hypothetically, yes. But if you weren't singing songs, then you shouldn't be flinging arrows. Don't disqualify yourself from the venture of uh, arrow slinging if you weren't first psalm singing. If you weren't praying for your enemies, you have no business killing your enemies. If you haven't been singing for your neighbor, you have no business shooting at your neighbor. If you haven't been praying for your neighborhood, there's no business um, being, you know, going on the defensive with weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not flesh and blood. Uh, We are fighting the spirit of the age. We are fighting uh, ideas. We are fighting uh, spiritual realms and powers and dominions, uh, of which are articulated and illustrated by way of human uh, relations and whatnot, but does not start there, and so we must sing. Before we fling arrows, we must sing. Right? Somebody may say, well, in the beginning of the poem, he flings arrows before he sings. It's very true, but I also think he was wrong. <laughs> and I should also state that he simply flung the arrow into the air. He wasn't aiming at anybody, and he was making a point. Uh, that it's not random. Places, Things don't land randomly, though we do not see them. We don't see arrows. We don't see uh, sound waves. But yet they seem to hit their mark every time. They may not hit our mark, but it, they hit their mark every time. They hit what God wants it to hit. So again, keep that in mind. Well... Until then, I think I've uh, flung this arrow and sang this song enough. Uh, Till then, guys, uh, as always, uh, drink coffee and come to Jesus.